Andrew could not have known my outline when he picked the songs this morning. Because uh, I didn't know my outline when last we spoke. I knew my subject, but not my outline. The outline, uh, I had to get up at 3 a.m. to write down. Because I thought, I'm going to forget some of this. <laughs> so, I haven't had a lot of sleep, but I've had a great time with God. And the music was also from him. We have problems. We have problems. Say, well, I'm, I'm, I, I thought, you know, when you spoke to us on Monday, everybody was talking like we're a good group of people and we all love God and we're talented and just blessed to get to work with one another. I, I'm not taking any of that back. I, I think that's absolutely true. But we have problems. We have problems that we would have even if we weren't here. We have problems that God describes in his word. There are three famous things that you and I must confront that present problems for us as we seek to be on that pilgrim way, becoming what God has called us and destined us to be. Those three famous problems are the world, the flesh, and the devil. How many of you have heard of those? How many of you are keenly aware that they are very real problems? Amen? John 15, 19. We're going to be jumping around in the scriptures, but I think you'll be able to keep up. John 15. Verse 19. I'm going to start in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Wow, that sounds pretty radical. Well, it's the truth that Jesus speaks to us. That is not one of the little scriptures that go in the promise box. Okay, Let's See what God has to encourage me today. The world hates me. <laughs> but it's true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this world system is hostile toward you because of your identification with Christ. So we got a problem. Look at 1 John chapter 2, 1 John, the epistle, chapter 2. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, you belong to him, you need to just come to grips with the fact that you are living in a hostile environment. If your goal is to be popular you are barking up the wrong tree. If you hope for worldly acclaim, if you just, you know, I just really, I wish we could get the media on our side. Well, 
then start a media empire. But I'll tell you this, the world never going to love you. Not if you faithfully follow Jesus. Jesus promised that the world would hate you because the world hates him. Now, I, I will say this. Some of us have accepted the fact that we're not going to be popular and that there's going to be hostility, but we don't want that for our kids. We want our kids to be popular. Okay? I mean, we never were, but, but they can be. Okay? And so I've seen Christian parents pressuring their kids to fit in. You know, it's important, honey. You, you know, you want, to, you want to be liked. You want to have friends. You want to be popular. And, uh, and if, if, you, if you learn to be a little more subtle about your faith, they won't nickname you preach when you're in high school. My parents, thank God, didn't do that. When I went off to kindergarten in the public school in Villa Park, Illinois, I walked down the sidewalk with the understanding, going toward that school, that I was going into a pagan environment and that in all likelihood, my teachers and my classmates were on their way to hell. And my job was not to keep my head down. My job was to represent Jesus by being kind to them and not compromising, but instead pointing them to Jesus. As you might imagine, I was the most popular person in the kindergarten. No. The important thing is not being liked. The important thing is Jesus. The world is against us. But we have another problem. We can't just blame it on them. The flesh. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now that sinful nature is a translation of a word that simply means flesh. Okay? It's talking not about this. It's talking about our sin nature. So it's okay to translate it sin nature. But when we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, this is what we're talking about. The acts of the sinful... I'm going to start back in verse 16. I'm, I'm, I've got to, go, got to go long on this. Verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of the things in that list, it's like, well, orgies. <laughs> I would never do that. Witchcraft? You've got to be kidding me. That's superstition. I'm, you know, I mean, that Harry Potter stuff is just innocent fun. Actually, it's something God calls an abomination. But it's okay as long as kids just do it and make believe, you know. Are we going to have make believe prostitutes? You know, we're, we don't want our child to really be a prostitute, but if they just want to pretend, you think? Make believe, what other abomination can we come up with? Well, if somebody writes a very appealing children's book series, 
I imagine we'll have Christian parents who are thinking, it's not a problem, it's just make-believe. We're just pretending, okay? Folks, pornography is pretending. It's not okay. So the flesh is our own sin nature, which... Anybody else here ever discovered they have a sin nature? That in other words, kind of built in is this tendency to go the wrong way? When Pastor Brian described institutional drift, he, he did a fabulous job. He absolutely nailed it. He described it perfectly, comparing it to what happens at the ocean. It doesn't just happen to institutions. It happens to people. Okay? Oh, I, I, would, I would not do that. Well, I, I could maybe do a little bit of that. Well, maybe that's not so bad. I could, I, you know, this is really kind of fun. Just a gradual transition as we harden our hearts. The flesh. The flesh works against us as we seek to follow Christ. What about the devil? Is that real? You better believe it. One of my dear friends and mentors now in heaven was Dr. Christy Wilson. He planted the first Christian church in Afghanistan in the last thousand years. And that church grew and did wonderfully until it was crushed by a hostile Muslim government and he was kicked out of the country. And just as an aside, that government heard that the church was meeting underground, and they brought earth-moving equipment and dug down at least 10 feet, I think it was like 20, in order to prove that they had obliterated the church and that they were not meeting underground. Gotta love those idiomatic expressions that don't translate well. True story. Um, the devil's real, and Christy Wilson said, I was trained at Princeton Seminary not to believe in a literal devil. That was just superstition that was reflected in the scriptures because it was written back in times when people thought in those categories. But he said, I was taught that that isn't so. And then I went to Afghanistan, and I very quickly saw such astounding manifestations of supernatural evil, demonic manifestations, that I realized, okay, the Bible is really true, and there really is a devil and demons. There really is, my brothers and sisters, a devil. There really are demons. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, the Apostle Paul is talking about the necessity of forgiveness, and he says we are forgiving in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. You and I, as followers of Jesus, need to know not only that the devil exists, but we need to understand his schemes. We need to understand how he works. That's why I wrote that book, Discerning the Difference, talking about how he will try to throw you either in this direction or in that direction, whichever way you were leaning. He will use your momentum to throw you off balance, either by causing you to feel false guilt and therefore distant from God, because you will not be naturally inclined to draw close to God if you always feel like God is upset with you, disappointed in you, and you're guilty all the time. So he'll use false guilt to try and keep you from drawing close to God. Or, failing that, if you are gloriously happy about the fact that you have been forgiven, that your sins are covered, he will try and throw you in the other direction and cause you not to accept the convicting work of the Holy Spirit 
by quoting Romans 8.1 to you. Oh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, just don't listen to that. There's no condemnation, you just go right on, do what you're doing. God says you're beautiful, snowflake. Now let me tell you something. We need to be sensitive to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and repent when we sin because I, I trust you all know we still sin sometimes. Well, I was uh, really uh, hoping that you were going to tell us this morning how to be sinless. I can't tell you how to be sinless. I can tell you how to sin less. Okay? I'm going to be sinless when I get to heaven. Hallelujah. I look forward to it. I hate my stupidity and the wickedness in my flesh nature the devil knows how to exploit that. Because one of the things we're told in the book of Hebrews is in light of Christ's priestly work, having taken away our guilt, we are to boldly approach the throne of God. Why? Because I'm a good person. I'm comparing myself to other people, and I think I'm pretty fine. No, because of Jesus. Because of what he has done, we can boldly come before the throne knowing that God loves us so much that he gave his son as the perfect sacrifice who doesn't just forgive us, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't look at me and see the dirty fellow. Imagine if what he saw was the accumulated filth of all the sins I've committed in 68 plus years. Disgusting. But he doesn't see that. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Glory to God. So, we have problems. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But God has a solution for us. And by the way, he doesn't only have a solution for us, he has a solution, Christian, in us. It's not true of everybody everywhere. It is true for all Christians everywhere. God has a solution in us. How do we deal with the world? Look at Romans 12, 1 through 3. I plead with you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. I think that is best expressed. This is intelligent, reasonable, service, worship. It's intelligent worship to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. Say, okay, God, I'm yours. The devotional that I'm sending out today, we've got people who are signed up for a weekly devotional from me. You're probably not, but you could be. The devotional, hey, thank you, Seth. Um, the devotional this week is about writing God a blank check. Okay, if you want to know the will of God, write him a blank check every day. Just say, God, I'm yours. I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. I offer you my time, my relationships, my finances, everything. It's all yours. I was doing that in the middle of the night. It's just a daily thing. Every day. Say, God, I'm yours. I'll go where you say. I'll do what you want. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. I thought I was. I don't want to be now. So offer yourself to him. And then what he says is, don't be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. 
Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can demonstrate that God's will for you is good and acceptable and perfect. That's why I want him to run my life. It turns out where I think this looks good. That's what Eve thought about the fruit in the garden. I, th- I, well, I, I think that'd be a good thing to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So what do I need to do? Just turn it over to him. And when I do what he says, which may look scary to me or unappealing to me or whatever, it turns out his will for my life is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't get better than perfect by definition. You cannot improve on perfect. Well, could there be more than one perfect thing? No. One's going to be perfect and the other one's going to be less than. Always. That's life. That's why my wife is so glad she married me. (laughs) Just trying to see if you're still awake. So the way that we deal with the world is not by trying to become popular, but by completely yielding to him. Well, how do we deal with the flesh? I am so glad you asked that question. Look at Colossians 3.5. Pastor Wood, you keep going back to Colossians 3. Well, yeah. Why didn't you just do a series on Colossians? I have before. Colossians 3.5. This is how you deal with the flesh. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self. You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge in the image of its creator. Do you hear what he's saying? You can act volitionally if you're a child of God and choose to say no to the sin nature. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I find it difficult. It didn't say it wouldn't be difficult. It's hard to kill the old nature. And it keeps coming back. Your sin nature is like a zombie. Okay? I thought I just dealt with that. It's back. Okay? I haven't had that habit in 10 years. It's back. Deal with it. What do you do with zombies? I don't know. I don't watch those movies. I would suspect that there are people who work at destroying the zombies. Am I right? You don't watch those movies either. That's why you work here. Thank God. All right? I'll just tell you this. If a zombie came in the door, I would not run out the other way. I would take the most powerful weapon I have available, and I would blow that thing to bits. Because I would rather have bits of zombie scattered in the foyer than to have a zombie chasing me out of the building where I'm supposed to be. You are not supposed to fear your sin nature. You're supposed to kill it. Put it to death. How do we do that? What does that look like practically? I'm so glad you asked. Look at Romans 6, verses 11 through 18. Here's how you put it to death. And and I'm going to tell you, it actually works. And the reason I'm telling you that is not just from experience, it's because it's what God tells us to do. Okay? God wouldn't say, do it like this, and then say, (laughs) didn't work, did it? God's telling us here how to put that sin nature to death. Romans 6, beginning in verse 11. You could actually begin further up. 
in, in verse 5 and come on down, but we're going to start in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You can say to that which used to be your master, I don't work for you anymore. You're not my boss. You're not in charge of me. You have to do it. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not true. Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and he will speak through your flesh, telling you, you cannot have victory. You have to give in. This is just the way you are. Come to grips with it. Just accept it. Just recognize it's you, and everybody else is just going to have to accept you the way you are. Nope. Not true. Say no. Well, I... I... I really have had a struggle with this. Okay. Shoot the blasted thing. Pastor Wood, you're not talking about self-harming, are you? No, I'm talking about killing the sin nature. Okay? Your body you're supposed to offer to God as a living sacrifice. And you don't do that by harming it. But what you do is say no in the power of the Holy Spirit. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I tell the story from time to time about friends I knew years ago who got saved and they got an invitation to a party and it was a fancy invitation to a fancy party and it was going to be bad stuff going on at the party. And they knew that because they used to go to those parties and there was bad stuff going on and they used to participate. Now they're followers of Jesus. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? And they came up with what I thought was a marvelous idea. They wrote deceased on the invitation and sent it back. (laughs) Isn't that great? And of course, their friends were, you know, seeing them around town. It's like, hey, you know, we got the invitation back. It said deceased. What are you talking about? I love it when people ask questions that open the door for me to share the gospel. And that's what they did. And some of their friends were interested and some of their friends were angry and some of their friends thought they were nuts. And it really doesn't matter because they told the truth and they did the right thing. And they were actually doing something very biblical. Because when temptation came knocking in their mailbox, they said, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Consider yourself dead to sin. In the old King James it says, reckon yourself dead to sin. You've heard sometimes country folk talk about, well, I reckon... What what does that mean? It means consider, just decide that that's the way it is. Say, well, I I reckon I better rustle up some grub. What that means is I have decided that I need to go make a meal. If you reckon yourself dead to sin, you consider that you are dead to sin. Not like, well, you know, I want to keep a little you know, of my options open. I'm, I'm not going to look at porn. I know I shouldn't, but I really hate to give up my magazines. Say, Pastor Wood, people wouldn't think like that, would they? All the time. All the time. Preacher that I knew, not real well, but I met him, knew him, visited with him, told a story that I thought was wonderful. He developed an addiction 
to boats. He, you know, lived in Mobile, Alabama. How can you live in Mobile and not have a boat if you can afford it? And so he got a boat. But pretty soon he wanted to upgrade, so he bought another boat. He still had this boat, hadn't sold it yet. Wanted to sell it, but hadn't gotten around to it, but he just really had to have this boat. Eventually he had three boats. And the two happiest days in a boat owner's life are the day that he buys his boat and the day that he sells it. Okay? Because boats inevitably have problems. Okay? Just as cars are a, a money pit, uh, boats are as well. And they require not only money, but lots of time and attention. And so this Baptist preacher with three boats was brought to his knees by God and realized, I've got an addiction. This is out of control. I got to get rid of my boats. So he did. He sold his boats. But as he told the story, I didn't see any harm in continuing my subscription to the boating magazine. Well, seemed okay for a while, but pretty soon there was a new boat being advertised, a new type of boat. I mean, brand new manufacturer is introducing this boat, and it really looked splendid. And he just, he fell in love with it on the page. And he thought, I, I need to just go by the marina and see if there are any of those in the marina, because, I mean, that is one sweet boat. Well, eventually that boat was spotted, and he was coveting that boat, and he prayed, Lord, just as Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar, and then because he was willing to give up Isaac, you gave Isaac back to him. Now that I have given up boating, and I, I haven't owned any boat in quite a while, could I have a boat? And God said, yes. God, is that you? Yes. Are you sure it's okay for me to have a boat? Yes, I have a boat for you. And God had a boat for him. And he put a bunch of money into it, and he took time off and planned a family vacation out on the Gulf of Mexico. And they got way out into the Gulf. And this beautiful new boat Quit on him. So he radios back to land. And he says, I'm having trouble out here. Well, try this. I didn't fix it. Try this. Didn't fix it. Well, uh, I guess we're going to have to come out there and, and tow you back to land. Well, they couldn't tow him back to Mobile. They had to put him over in Mississippi. Vacation's over. His boat is waiting to be fixed. He has to rent a car to go back to his home in Mobile. Really a bummer. Because he spent a lot of money on that boat. And he had high hopes for that vacation. Now the family's all disappointed. Dreams are ruined. He goes back and he gets back to life and is waiting to have word that his boat has been fixed. Well, we're having to order parts. Well, okay, I understand. Months went by. He's paying for the place where it's in a marina in Mississippi, and he's still got his slip he's paying for in Mobile. And he has no boat. Well, he owns one, but it's in Mississippi. He can't get to it. I, I'm sorry, God. I must have misheard you. He didn't mishear God. God was still working on him. Going to set him free from his addiction. He's spending money on these two places with no boat to show for it. And so he decides, I've made a mistake. I need to sell the boat. He tries and tries and tries to sell the boat. Nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to buy it. It's a beautiful boat. He's offering it at a deep discount. No one will touch it. He's still making payments. 
paying for the marina, he's paying for the boat, he can't sell it. It's just, you know, please God deliver me from this thing. More months go by. And finally, I believe it was in the 1960s. I got a lot of old friends. I believe it was in the 1960s, a horrible hurricane that killed people hit the Gulf Coast. It was Hurricane Camille. You can research it. And he thought, well, one good thing came out of this hurricane. I finally got rid of that boat, and I'm going to get my insurance money. He called the marina, and when he could finally get somebody, because it was a while before there was a working phone there, they said, oh, Brother Simpson, uh, it's been horrible. I mean, you know, we lost our, our building, our phone service. So it's just been, you know, loss of life. It's just been terrible. He said, I, 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 I'm so sorry. Tell me, tell me about my boat. Well, Reverend, it's the strangest thing. <laughs> he said, every boat in the marina was destroyed except for yours. Put the flesh to death. Don't try and hang on to a little bit. Okay? Put it to death. Put it to death. Consider it dead. All right, so that's how you deal with the world. That's how you deal with the flesh. How do you deal with the devil? Well, look at Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. God gives us armor. Put it on. Put it on. Don't just have it. I have a concealed carry permit. I'm not ashamed for people to know that. I'm not especially proud for people to know that, but it's just a, a fact. I have a concealed carry permit. They're not that hard to get. But I have one, and last time I checked, I'm a pretty good shot, even with a handgun. I did very well on the test after I'd taken the classroom instruction. They have, you go to the firing range and shoot, and I did mine with a snub nose 38, police special. Okay? Snubnose 38 is not a target pistol. But that's what I used, and I did very well. Better than people with longer barrels. Now, this was some years ago, I will admit. But I've got a concealed carry permit. And, and I have that because, as a matter of fact, I can, I can show it to you. I have it on my person. Here it is. Handgun carry permit. Isn't that cool? And, and the reason I have that on my person is because if I am ever in a situation where, you know, this person is endangering lives in a store or something like that, I'm going to reach in my pocket, I'm going to pull this thing out, and I'm going to say, hey, stop, I've got a handgun permit. That wouldn't work, would it? It might get me shot, but it's not going to do anything to protect other people. Because having a permit to carry a gun doesn't give me any more lethal force than having a handkerchief. Hey, stop! <laughs> okay? In order for that to be useful, I have to have a loaded 
handgun. I have a loaded handgun. It's loaded. I don't want to be in an emergency situation and... Just a minute. Hold on. I'm getting loaded. I would be of no help, right? So I have a handgun that is loaded, and I keep it loaded. Pastor, what are you about to show us the gun? No. I don't have it on me. It's loaded, and I know exactly where it is. And if right now there was an emergency and I needed to protect somebody, I'd say, I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> Too late. Now why am I telling you that? Because you and I have been given the armor of God. But if we don't put it on, it isn't useful. You're going to get creamed by the adversary. In order for us to effectively deal with the devil, we've got to put on the full armor of God. Please notice he says the full armor of God. Well, I, you know, this, this helmet, you know, I'm, I'm good with the breastplate. I think that kind of actually looks snazzy. But, um, but the helmet, I've never liked helmets. I don't even like hats. Put on the full armor of God. Do I have to wear the have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, I mean, I, I like more comfortable shoes, and sometimes sharing the gospel with people makes me uncomfortable. Put on the full armor of God. That's how you're able to stand against the devil. Look at 1 John. Well, you don't have to look. 1 John 4, 4 tells us that the one who lives within us is greater than the one who lives in the world. The one who lives in us. Remember what I said earlier about God not only has a solution for us, he has a solution in us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are born again, then the fact of the matter is God has already given you everything you need to have victory. It's not like, boy, I wish the Lord would give me the victory. He's given you everything you need to have victory. All the armor, all the pieces of the armor are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. He is the word of God. He is our peace. Everything in that list of armor is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, elsewhere we read, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our victory comes from. It's who he is and what he's done. That's how we have victory. And so greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And in James 4, 7, we're told something that is often misquoted. People often say, oh, you know, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible does not say that. I, I'm pretty sure it does. No, no, it doesn't. Oh, what, what, what does it say? James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you leave out, submit yourself to God, you have just set yourself up to get defeated. You've just set yourself up to get clobbered. If you go into the battle not in submission to God, but feeling like, okay, I got this one. You're going to get wiped out. The devil will clean the floor with you. You understand? But if you submit yourself to God, then you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. <laughs> Did you see that? He's really scared of me. No, he's not. He's scared of him. If you're submitting yourself to God, then you have power and authority to stand against the adversary. It starts with submitting yourself to God. So practically then, are there any suggestions on how to, how to really flesh this out? Yes. Briefly, God has given us some means by which we avail ourselves of his provision. The first 
is God's word. Feed on the word of God. God's word needs to be our food. That's why we gather together and study his word. That's why you need to be having time with the Lord on your own. Pastor Wood, is the only time you read the Bible in order to prepare these sermons? No. Okay. If you want a Bible reading plan, I'll gladly recommend one to you. We've put copies out there for people before. Pastor Brian can get anybody here who wants a copy. Is, is it a plan you devised? No, it was devised by the Navigators, and it's wonderful. And it'll get you through the Bible in a year, five days a week. If you read more, you can get through sooner and start over again. Well, I was just hoping to take off the month of November and December because I've already finished the Bible for this year. You know. Actually, I'm doing that right now. Uh, I'm, I'm already almost finished with September's Bible reading. And I'm doing the same thing when it comes to food. After that meal last night at Anakista, I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just eat like crazy between now and Thanksgiving and then just fast the whole month of December. Would that be a healthy plan? No, that would be stupidity. And I, I wouldn't make it through the month of December fasting. <laughs> so feed on the Word of God. It is our spiritual food. And Jesus, when facing the tempter, answered every temptation with Scripture. That's how we need to respond. But you can only do that if you're feeding on it, if you're dwelling in the Word. Secondly, prayer. Bathe your life in prayer. Bathe your decisions in prayer. Jesus, after a long day of ministry that stretched into the night, was up before dawn in the morning to spend time alone with his Father in prayer. If Jesus needed to do that, how is it that we think we, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really, I, I say a blessing before I eat. Go talk with God. Well, I'm not, I've, I've heard other people pray and they seem to make these lovely little homilies. And God isn't asking for that. He doesn't need you to impress him. I told all my kids that until they could speak proper English, I didn't want to hear from them. You think? Do you think? Of course not. When, when they were just learning to say, Dada, I was thrilled. When they said, Mama, I was more thrilled. Is that, an, is that because you're trying to put your ego to death? No, it's because if they call her, she comes, and I don't have to. <laughs> the fact of the matter is I loved hearing from my kids. Okay? I loved hearing from my kids. God wants to hear from you. You don't have to make a speech. You don't have to impress him. Just tell him what's going on. Don't, don't do it thinking that he doesn't know. Okay? But you can come and discuss the day's events, your concern for somebody else, your feelings about what's upcoming and asking him to help you. Just talk to him. And listen. Listen. Any of my books are free to any of you who want them. We've got three books on prayer. And if you say, well, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to read one of those, or I'd like to read all three. Okay. Let it be known at the office, Abiding in Christ will happily donate any copies that the staff want. Not copies for you to give away to your friends. You buy those, okay? From the ranch. But, but if you just personally want that, and it's like, yeah, man, what I'm making here as a mentor, I really can't afford this. You don't have to. It, it's my gift to you, because I love you, and I'm grateful that you're here. But one of the books, the first in the book on prayer is Calling Him Daddy. The second one is Hearing His Voice. Learn to listen to God. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. Well, just tell him you're nervous about it and ask him to teach you to hear him. And you'll be amazed how God will speak to you. 
from his word. Thirdly, God wants us to receive strength from the fellowship of the saints, the communion of the saints, the body of Christ. Jesus served people, but Jesus also let people serve him. And he taught us when we pray to pray, my Father who is in heaven. Wait, did I get that wrong? Our Father who is in heaven. The Bible repeatedly talks about what it is to be a part of the body and how all the parts need each other. And if one part says, I don't really belong in the body because I'm not that part, it's wrong. You're part of the body. And God is knitting our lives together. And we need each other. I would encourage you to be very familiar with the material and discerning the difference. And I would recommend a couple of authors to you. I trust that neither of them has gone off the rails. These days, you never know who used to be orthodox and has now become a heretic. But I'm going to go ahead and recommend two authors who used to be solid and hopefully still are. One is Neil Anderson. If you Google him, you'll find a guy who's an elder in the Mormon church, uh, LDS. Uh, That's not the one I'm recommending, okay? He just comes up first. This guy is also named Neil Anderson, and he's written a number of books, including Victory Over the Darkness, The Bondage Breaker, etc., Okay. The other is Dan Allender. I'm looking for, I'm getting a slight nod there from Jordan. As far as we know, this guy's still solid. He's out in Seattle now, that makes me nervous. <clears throat> but Dan Allender and Neil Anderson, I recommend them both. If they are currently heretics, read their old stuff. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you give us victory over the enemy and we do not have to fear. You are great and greatly to be praised, and we love you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.